0: And hello, Adashina Koyuki back with you on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. This is episode number two, and thank you so very much for joining us. And in just under one month's time, the biggest sporting event in the world Will take place and get started the 2014 FIFA World Cup in Brazil. And joining us on this podcast is Arif Ahmed, our United States Men's National Team soccer expert and soccer correspondent, joining us and talking everything. Jürgen Klinsmann and Uncle Sam's Army. The preliminary 30 man roster was named on Monday. It was revealed on Monday, and that roster has to be trimmed to 23 players before the team boards the plane and. Head- Heads to Brazil so Arif joining us talking about some of the players you have to look out for getting ready for the World Cup some of the players that may or may not make the cut on June 2nd and possibly join the team in Brazil so we talk about the men's national soccer team with Arifa Med but first we mentioned at the end of the podcast last week that we wanted to have an athlete join us on the podcast and we do just that albeit a retired one but she Happens to be inarguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time and arguably the greatest women's basketball player to ever grace this earth. She is Ann Myers Drysdale. She is the vice president of both the Phoenix Mercury, the WNBA, and the Phoenix Suns of the NBA, the WNBA season getting started on Friday. So we talk about the WNBA. We talk about the NBA as the playoffs are well underway. And we also talk a little bit about Frank Sinatra. So enjoy the interviews with Ann Myers Drysdale and Arif Med, and we will see you at the end of the show. The Women's National Basketball Association begins its 18th season on Friday, and it promises to be one of the most exciting seasons on record. And one of the teams looking to make noise in the 2014 season, the two-time WNBA champions, the Phoenix Mercury, last season, 19 and 15, making it to the Western Conference Finals before losing to the eventual WNBA champions, the Minnesota Lynx. And joining us right now on the A Lotta Sports Talk podcast to talk, Phoenix Mercury and WNBA and a little NBA as well. We are honored to have Ann Myers Drysdale join us. She is the vice president of both the Phoenix Mercury and the Phoenix Suns and one of the best basketball players to ever grace the hardwood, four-time Kodak All-American, first player, male or female, to uh, achieve that. And from what I learned last night, a huge Frank Sinatra fan. So, Ann, thank you so very much for joining us. And how are you this morning?
1: I'm good Addie. It. It's good to hear you.
0: Thank you very much. And I guess my first question is, uh, A, do you have blue eyes? And B, do your blue eyes, if you have blue eyes, match Frankie's?
1: I well, I don't know if they match, but uh <laughs> yes, I do have blue eyes, thanks oh. to my parents. And uh but um grew up listening to him, uh, as my parents were huge fans and uh my late husband Don Drysdale was dear friends with him and uh so Uh, His music will never go out of style.
0: Of course, and um, it's so great to actually listen uh, to Fly Me to the Moon, as I called you uh, last night. So just a little inside, a little information. (laughs) But um, we're talking WNBA right now, and back in 1997, there was the New York Liberty and the L.A. Sparks at the old uh, Great Western Forum, uh, the first game in the history of the WNBA, and now it's almost getting ready to complete two decades of basketball. So just want to ask you, assess the state of the league, its growth from 1997 to now, and where this league is, and what's in the future for the WNBA.
1: Well, I'm just so excited, and the fact that it's in its 18th season, and, uh, you know, I foresee it going into its 30th and, and beyond, and uh, certainly being a part of the NBC crew for the first six years broadcasting the WNBA games, and uh, that first game with New York and Los Angeles, and uh, Penny Toller being the first one to score a basket in the WNBA for Los Angeles, and uh, New York going on, and you know at, at some point they played in the finals against Houston, but Houston winning four WNBA championships and dominating those first four years, and Just names coming back uh, from overseas and uh, having the opportunity to play in front of their families and and, uh, friends. It is Seeing the growth, Uh, the league has uh, added teams and subtracted teams. Uh, There is a dream now for young girls and young women to play at the next level in this country, to be a professional basketball player and can also go overseas and play. Um, the fact that it, when the league was around 10 years, you had little girls that never knew what the league was about. And now it, it's part of our fabric in our, in our society. It really is. And uh, to have it as the longest-running team sport for women professionally in this country is huge. And uh, so you've got sponsors, you've got TV contracts, you've got fans that continue to grow and grow. And uh, um, I only see it uh, being here for a long, long time.
0: And uh, one of the biggest stories in this offseason, one of the flagship teams in the WNBA, and you mentioned the Los Angeles Sparks, the biggest story is they are still the uh, Los Angeles Sparks. A lot of uncertainty in the offseason, whether they would stay in Los Angeles, move out of Los Angeles, or uh, even exist. And uh, an investment group with uh, Magic Johnson, led by Magic Johnson, able to come and uh, invest in the uh, LA Sparks. Just um, uh, your thoughts about having one of the greatest players of all time have his... His name uh, be attached and involved with the WNBA and Magic Johnson in Los Angeles.
1: Well, certainly it's a big positive. There's no question because of what Magic has accomplished, not only on the court but off the court in the community and and uh, creating jobs for uh, minorities and and being in the. L.A. area and uh, owning the companies that he owns and, um, you know, being involved with the Los Angeles Dodgers and that ownership group and now with the L.A. Sparks. And, you know, and I have to say something because the NBA or Major League Baseball or NFL, you know, you've had teams move. You've had teams that you think, how are they even existing because there's nobody in the stands watching them? And uh, not to say that uh, there are fans watching us, uh, maybe not to the extent yet uh, on a regular basis of the NBA but we're averaging eight to almost 10,000 fans a-, a game and uh, when our playoffs come they're all sold out uh no matter who's in the the finals uh whether it's us or Indiana or Minnesota or LA i mean the fans come out and watch and uh the fact that Los Angeles can continue uh like New York which will be back at Madison Square Garden this year which the last few years they had to play over in New Jersey uh, which was tough for the team, but uh, with Liberty being back and being an original team in this league as the Phoenix Mercury, um, you know, having that stability, uh, knowing you've got a great ownership uh, with Magic Johnson and his group with Los Angeles, you know that the Sparks are going to be around for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, it says something about this league. We've got 12 teams, and it's a good number. I know they've talked about expansion. And, um, you know, will one day they get to 30 teams? You know, you hope that that day comes and you hope that you have enough talent out there to sustain that, too. But, you know, I I think most of the cities that we're in, uh, they've got great fan support.
0: Once again, talking with Ann Myers Drysdale, Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Famer, VP for the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury, and going to concentrate a little bit on the Phoenix Mercury now. Last season, nineteen and fifteen, after a couple of seasons ago, a seasons ago where the team was beset and ravaged uh, by injuries, and you, the team has probably the most well-known women's basketball player currently in uh Brittany Griner assess her first season in the WNBA. And what does she have to do between, I guess season one last year and now to be the dominant player that a lot of fans and a lot of people expect her to be in the WNBA.
1: It's certainly a lot of expectations last year coming out as the number one pick. And, uh, she's such a great kid and uh, really wants to learn the game and, and, uh, and needs to learn the game a little bit more. Uh, Quite honestly, it's too bad that um, throughout her formative years that she wasn't taught a little bit better uh, because I will say that she dominated so much because of her size that there were not a lot of young girls or women that could compete with that. And so in college, she probably didn't have as much competition. Uh, had wonderful teammates, too, playing with somebody like Odyssey Sims, who now is going to be in the league this year. But, um, you know, she just basically dominated. And now that she's at the next level, uh, these women that have been playing professional, it's the same thing on the men's side. I mean, when you've got somebody that's a 19, 20-year-old kid that comes into the NBA playing against somebody that's 30 years old, uh, there's a difference. So if you're playing against LeBron or Kobe, uh, and you're a rookie coming in, you're going to have a tough time because they know the league, they understand it, their bodies have changed, they've grown, they've gotten stronger, and uh, and they've had an opportunity to work on their game. And so with Brittany coming straight out of college, the expectations of so many, and um, unfortunately she had a, a couple injuries that really limited her, and uh, it was tough for her to come back. But, you know, emotionally and mentally she wanted to do so well, and uh, she worked hard to get back. In the off-season, she's worked on her game. She's getting stronger, and uh, she's still learning the game. And that's what's so great. She's so young, and she can only get better. And uh, so we're really excited about her opportunity to play again for the Phoenix Mercury and, uh, you know, to help us in the middle and and to, uh, you know, just continue to improve as a player and as a person. And uh, I don't think she could do it uh, anywhere else but at a better place than Mercury.
0: I guess expound a little bit on... Uh, Britney being so dominant, at least in college, that there may not have been as many people or anybody to kind of uh, teach her in the way that she needed to be taught in terms of really harnessing her skills to be even more dominant. Is it just a lack of, I guess, uh, big man, big woman coaching in women's basketball? So expound a little bit on her talent and how it could be hard to coach given her overwhelming talent.
1: Well, I I don't think Eddie that she's hard to coach at all, and uh, she's like a sponge. She wants to yeah. learn, and uh, I think you just have to have people that that step up and and are willing to you know break things down. And mm-hmm. certainly, she's getting that more and more. And uh, but I, you know you look at the WNBA, and you've got Tina Charles, you've got Candace Parker, mm-hmm. you've got Janelle McCarville, you've got uh, Kara Braxton. I mean, you go down the list of of really not only terrific centers that they were in college, but also now that they've got not only WNBA years behind them, but also playing overseas. Good. So you've got veteran players that, you know, understand how to play the game and uh, not intimidated by uh, certain people at all, uh, if you can say their size or whatever. And, uh, so, and that's a maturity factor. And, and, uh, and Brittany's, you know, again, she's still young and, and still learning the game, and uh, she's only going to get better and better.
0: Uh, never meant to say that Brittany was hard to coach because of either attitude or anything. Just with right, her, right. Uh, just with her talent, that sometimes you might, a coach might say, "Wow, I've just never had a player like this. How do I uh, go about and making sure that she?" A coach can make sure that well, she. Well, her time player the college player yeah. of the
1: year. She did do pretty good. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> Again, Ann Myers Drysdale joining us. Uh, talk about the incorporation of Brittany to a veteran roster and a talented, uh, talent laden roster with Diana Taurasi and Duana Bonner uh, as well. So. Of that incorporation should only get better as the years go on. And Penny Taylor, too, well, as you mentioned. Well,
1: certainly. And, and when you're playing with better players, and no better person to play with than Diana Trossi. And so many people have said she's, you know, the best in the world. And certainly there's other players coming up. And uh, just as dynamic as whether you talk about Candace Parker or Maya Moore and uh, Simone Augustus and Cappy Pondexter. And, and also, you know, we here in Phoenix, we have Penny Taylor, who is another great, great player in, in the world. And, uh, but Diana just raises the level of players' play, and that's what great players do. They make everybody else around them better. They make them perform at a higher level. Uh, they come to practice more focused. And uh, there's nobody that wants to win more than Diana Trossi. And, uh, and she leaves that out on the floor every game. Um, and I think she's matured also. I mean, she's changed, uh, from the time that she came in in 2004 as a rookie. Her body's changed. Her understanding of how to take care of herself and how to eat better and, uh, how to prepare for games. And, uh, that you have to understand what it takes to have longevity in this, this game. And, uh, injuries are always a part of it. And she's had some injuries and, uh, um, but she always, uh, is a fighter coming back. And, and when you play with somebody like that, um, you know, you want to embrace that. You want to play uh, the best that you can because she puts it out there. And, uh, you know, as a teammate, you want to be able to match what she gives you. Uh,
0: once again, Ann Myers Drysdale joining us, talking WNBA. And the Western Conference appears to be absolutely stacked. You have the Minnesota <laughs> <laughs> well for those that don't know I'll break it down the um, Minnesota Lynx they've won the WNBA title two of the last three years including last season uh, they have almost all of their team back even though Rebecca Brunson right now uh, uh, is injured and sitting out for a little bit you have the LA Sparks uh, they have two of probably the five best frontcourt players in the league with Candice Parker and Neko Gumike Seattle has Sue Bird back now have uh, Crystal Langhorn in the fold San Antonio as well uh, Tulsa now has Odyssey Sims to go with Skyler Diggins so my just question to you is um, is the balance of power in the WNBA in the Western Conference and just break down the way I, I think
1: I think the majority of the years it has been yeah um, it's like the NBA it really is and nothing to take away I mean Chicago led last year the only three teams that had 20 plus wins last year and we missed it by one but two of them were in the west with Minnesota and Los Angeles Chicago was the only team in the east that had 24 wins and uh Atlanta and Washington each with 17 and and uh you know Indiana with Tamika Catchings and you know Washington this year with Mike Tebow, and uh he's made a lot of changes and he's got a lot of uh Yukon players coming in especially young players Atlanta uh picking up Swin Cash along with Angel McCattery still there and a new coach in Michael Cooper uh New York Bill Lambeer making the huge trade bringing Tina Charles in mm-hmm and uh, to play along with Cappy Pondexter, and uh, I mean, they're going to be tough. Connecticut, Ann Donovan, she's got a lot of young players, and uh, with Chenea Agumake and uh, Alyssa Thomas, so um, a lot of changes on the East, and uh, I think they'll be very competitive, but when you look at the West, and Minnesota's the team to beat, there's no question. I mean, you look at their starting six, uh, of course, Monica Wright is out right now. She also, again, with Brunson out with the knee injury, but... Um, you know, Janelle McCarvel is just so savvy, and playing along Lindsay Whalen, who they played in college together, and then Simone Augustus and uh, Maya Moore, there's no two better players out there, and uh, who am I missing? I know I'm missing somebody, but um, they're just, you know, Minnesota's the team to beat until they uh, relinqu- relinquish their championship. Um, it's going to be tough, but yeah, Los Angeles and uh, Seattle's better. I mean, even though Lauren Jackson isn't playing, as you said, Sue Bird is back, but uh, Seattle was tough last year, even without Sue Bird and Lauren Jackson. And uh, they had some young players, and they, they made a difference. And uh, certainly they picked up Nicole Powell just uh, yesterday and, um, you know, another shooter. They've always been a shooting team. And with the loss of Tina Thompson, they're, they're going to need that. But San Antonio with Becky Hammond and Sophia Young back. And, um, you know, San Antonio's always tough. And as you said, Tulsa, uh, Fred Williams, another new coach, uh, even though he's been in the league, um, you know is going to change things around, and Tulsa just uh, very athletic and uh, don't under underestimate them
0: so I guess this is the long way of saying this might be the most competitive WNBA season on record
1: well and that 's why it's it 's so much fun, Addie because you know it just keeps getting better and better, and the talent coming in and you just uh, is getting deeper and deeper you it's just not five good players or six good players I mean you can go to the eleventh or twelfth player. And, uh, teams are, are deep now and they've gotta be, they've got the rotation and able to use more players, which really helps because a lot of your veteran players playing overseas, you know, playing basically 10, 11 months out of the year, it takes a a toll on your body. So the majority of teams that do well, their best players will average over 30 plus minutes. But, uh, I think teams will look to, because our season is so short, that our teams will look to, um, I, I would think coaches would look to kind of limit minutes a little bit. and uh, But you always want to stay healthy. If you can be healthy at the end of the season, you know, you've got a good chance of,
0: of going all the way. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, a lot of the star players and a lot of players uh, that are currently in the WNBA essentially play basketball 10, 11 months out of the year and play overseas. And that's been uh, pretty much accepted for the longest time. Is there a way or ways the WNBA can market itself and build itself in a way that a lot of these players may not have to play overseas and have the wear and tear on their bodies and be able to, I guess, uh, make their home base uh, in uh, New York or in a uh, Seattle and be based here in the States most of the time, instead of having to go back and forth overseas and to the States.
1: I think some of the teams are really making an effort. I know the league has kind of implemented some things about giving them some incentives in the off season, not to go over that they can make money here with their organization uh, in the off season and doing uh, community work and, and sponsored appearances and so forth. And, uh, but some of the kids, they want to play ball and, uh, our season is four and a half, five months long, and for some, that's not long enough. Yeah. And uh, But the money over in Europe, uh, depending on who you are and where you play... Uh, it's tough to turn down.
0: Yeah. Uh, once again, joined by Ann Myers Drysdale on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And want to shift to the NBA a little bit. And you're the uh, vice president for the Phoenix Suns as well. And Phoenix had an amazing year, 48 wins, just a game shy of making the uh, NBA playoffs as the number eight seed. And you see what's happening, or you saw what happened with the first round and all the craziness uh, in the first round, where the one and two seeds in the West uh, both got taken. to two seven games is there a part of you uh, that says oh if we only won that one more game who knows we we as the Suns, might have still been playing
1: well there were a lot of games that we could have won yeah that's <laughs> you know, a woulda coulda shoulda game yeah. you can't go there and uh certainly uh, and we won some games that we weren't supposed to win uh it was a fun year jeff hornacek came in and his coaching staff did a terrific job and uh really no expectations uh, certainly from the league we were picked to finish 29th, I believe, and um, but the record, obviously, if you compare that to the East, we were would have been what fourth or fifth place or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. I mean, I mean, we would have been up there, but needless to say, it just uh, it was a fun year. We uh, had players come together. Uh, we had players that people didn't expect anything. I mean, the fact that um, you know we had guys, uh, PJ Tucker. Uh, continues to play with his, you know, heart. And then speaking of heart, um, oh my gosh, my mind is blank. Who's our three-point shooter? Uh, <laughs> Joe Greenman in maybe? the middle. No, that came back from uh, the heart. Oh, Channing Frye. Is, Fry? is uh, 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 Channing? No, Fry? um, no. Channing Frye. Yeah, Channing Frye. Like, yeah. Oh, my, my <laughs> mind went blank. I'm sorry, but uh, Channing, you know, started from day one and and uh, played all 82 games, which was incredible okay. for a, a kid that you know, whose life was on the line, and uh, Goran Dragic and uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, a terrific backcourt when they were both healthy, and uh, Plumlee, who, you know, only played, what, 55 minutes in Indiana the year before and and came in as basically a rookie, and then Gerald Green, who was a journeyman that, you know, such a neat kid and and, uh, worked so hard and uh, was a surprise to everybody and was exciting to watch. And it was a brand of basketball that was fun, too. I mean, we ran. We wanted a fast break and, and push the ball. And, uh, you know, certainly we're going to have to get better next year. And, uh, there'll be some changes. And, and Ryan McDonough came in as the, uh, new general manager and, and, uh, made some trades that were not easy. Martin Gortat, who's in the, you know, in, in uh, Washington now and, and, uh, playing against Indiana, playing really well. And Lewis, Lucas, uh, Scola is in Indiana. And so both those guys are in the playoffs. And so they were tough trades, but trades that, uh, Ryan McDonough and the organization felt that, you know, you got to make changes in order to get better. And, uh, so as exciting as it was, there's going to be a lot of expectations next year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, You just hope they have the same chemistry.
0: Uh, Now in the playoffs, the Miami Heat, they've advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. The San Antonio Spurs have uh, advanced to the Western Conference Finals, both winning uh, on uh, Wednesday, advancing to the uh, Conference Finals. Could be a rematch of the NBA Finals from last year. When you watch the Heat and when you watch the Spurs, um, they have to invoke memories of some of the great teams that you played uh, with and some of the great teams that you have seen.
1: Well, how many coming into the season would have picked those two teams in the finals again. And uh, certainly people said Indiana, you know, they've geared their team towards beating Miami all year long. Well, they got to beat other teams first, too. And uh, San Antonio, if you look at the history of the NBA champions, they're veteran teams. You've got older guys on the team because they've been to the playoffs, they know what to do. You've got a system in place, and Pop has done a great job in that and uh, you've got veteran guys on uh, both teams now, um, and they've been there, and, and you've got to stay healthy. Uh, I think uh, both coaches have done a terrific job in, in nursing their players along the season because it's a long, drawn-out season, and uh, you've got to try and prepare your guys to get to the, the last two months, and uh, that's playing in the finals, and uh, certainly whether either team is there or not, um, you have to applaud the way their players have played at such a high level, and and within the teamwork and the concept of the game, and and you have to appreciate San Antonio. A lot of people don't like them, especially here in Phoenix. And, uh, but uh, but the fact that they they play, and uh, it's not it's not just Timmy and, and uh, Parker, and uh, they've in It's the other guys that are coming up, and uh, they do a great job with it. And And I think that the Phoenix Suns will be that kind of team, too, under a Jeff Hornacek's
2: regime.
0: Again, Ann Myers-Drysdale joining us. And for those that uh, never got a chance to watch you play, you were a player. You were a tall point guard. There wasn't anything that you uh, couldn't do on the basketball court. And mentioning the Heat, uh, there's LeBron James, another Tall point guard, point forward. When you watch LeBron, is there um, a party that says, wow, LeBron reminds myself of how I used to play? Or is there any player or players in the NBA currently or even uh, not currently in the past that remind yourself of your playing days?
1: Well, if I take it to a different level, I, you know, my brother Dave, who played for the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks and plays for Coach Wooden on his last championship team, I, I was a smaller version of Dave. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that helped me is not only growing up playing against the guys, but the fact that, uh, when I was a freshman at UCLA, I played for Kenny Washington, who was on mm-hmm. Coach Wooden's championship teams in the sixties. And so I, Kenny put me at all five positions and uh so i could play with my back to the basket and i i was a high jumper uh when i was younger so i could jump pretty good and uh was a pretty good rebounder but understood how to defend a post you know i used positioning but certainly as a ball handler playing against the guys you play guard a lot so you've got to pass and understand how the defenses are set up and when they're going to step into the passing lane and so forth and uh use pick and rolls and so, you know, ball handling was really important. And, uh, and I was able to read defenses pretty good, but also could go out to the wing and, and, uh, take outside shots or drive to the basket. And certainly I didn't have a fadeaway shot like LeBron James, that's for sure. But, um, you know, I, I like to see players that can do everything. I like to see, uh, any player get the ball off the board and take it down on a fast break opportunity. And, uh, I did that all the time. And, uh, it opens things up a lot faster. Um, and LeBron's able to do that, and you like to see players able to get into a fast-break situation and and get your quick, easy baskets. But, um, you know, as far as um, watching myself and the women, uh, I'm not good at comparing people. Mm -hmm. I don't like comparing people because, you know, when that player is special, they stand out. They don't need to be the next Ann Myers. They don't need Mm -hmm. to be the next LeBron James. They're just who they are. And, uh, and I think that that's what's important, but we get caught up in comparing players, and, you know, there's no other next Bill Russell. <laughs> there's no other, you know, Jerry West and, uh, or Julius Irving or Larry Bird. I mean, they are all unique in their own way, and, and you love how in the NBA, uh, side that people compare, uh, to, Michael Jordan, you know who's better and who's your top five and who's you know now players are getting so good that you can't have a top five anymore. How do you how do you leave Oscar out? Mm-hmm. How do you leave Chamberlain out? How do you you know and uh, and then you looked at modern day guys and how do you leave guy like Kobe out or Kevin Durant now and um, and Chris Paul and and uh, Tony Parker and you go down the list and um, I mean Goran Dragic's numbers were incredible as an MVP this year mm-hmm. and uh, um, but he wasn't looked upon that but at least he got most improved yeah. but um, you know and the, and the same thing on the, on the women's side as great a player as Diana trossi is I mean Cynthia Cooper was a great player and Lisa Leslie and um, the Teresa Weatherspoon and we go down the list uh, Jennifer Gillum mm-hmm. but now you've got a mile Moore and a Simone Augustus and and what is Brianna Stewart coming out of Connecticut going to be or what is Odyssey Sims going to be and So we've got some young talent on the women's side that is, uh, you know, starting to shine and be their own player. And, uh, you know, Tina Charles, as I've mentioned earlier, Brittany Griner. And uh, so, you know, the game always changes and the names change.
0: Yeah. Um, not to interject too much of my own thoughts, but uh, going back to uh, women's basketball at the very beginning of the WNBA, I think uh, my uh, uh, favorite, uh, other than Cooper and Leslie and all those Houston Comet teams, was always Andrea Stinson. She always stood out uh, to me when she was uh, with Charlotte. Baby Jordan, I think her nickname uh, was. Baby Jordan, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right, yes. yes. And
1: as a matter of fact, she was up for MVP her uh, that, that first year of the league. Yeah. It was her and Cynthia Cooper, but... Um, uh, Cooper beat her out, but Stin- probably because Houston won it. Exactly. But Stinson was unbelievable, and people that didn't get an opportunity to see her play, I mean, she was a lot of fun to watch, yeah. and uh, she could handle the ball, and at her size, I think she was about six one, mm-hmm. and uh, she just, I mean, yeah, she was on the wing and uh, take it to the basket, and was strong, and could rebound, and uh, was real physical, and uh, you know, she was a fun player to watch.
0: Yeah uh and myers drysdale i can't thank you enough for being able to talk basketball with one of the great uh basketball players of all time it's really been an honor well,
1: this has been here. fun you're one of the great <laughs> interviews because you know the game and it's so much fun to banter back and forth so anytime you want to talk give uh, me a
0: call. Uh, don't make me blush Ann. thank you so much and i gotta ask you one last question um how much how often do you pick up a basketball and shoot around well, I'll, yeah, I'll shoot my three footers. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, do I, do, I don't
1: do it in front of too many people. I just go <laughs> out by myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, basketball Hall of Famer and Myers Drysdale. Thank you so very much for joining us, and we will definitely talk with you down the road. Okay, you got it. In less than a month's time, the biggest sporting event in the world will take place in Brazil, the 2014 FIFA World Cup. And the United States on Monday revealed its preliminary 30-man roster. That roster will have to be paired to 23 before those players and the coaching staff board the plane to Brazil in preparation for their Group G competition in Brazil. And joining us right now on a lot of sports talk to talk about everything United States men's national team soccer is is our U.S. men's national team expert and soccer contributor to our site, Arif Ahmed. Joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And first of all, Arif, thank you uh, so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. How are you uh, guys? Good well. to be on here. All right. Uh, thank you very much. I'm doing well. Quickly, your... Not quickly, but your first reaction to the 30-man roster that was revealed on Monday.
2: Um, I guess my first reaction would be, yeah, it was not very surprising to say the least. I mean, Klinsman um, has tried out, I think, in the last uh, two, three years, I guess, since he's been coached, he's tried out um, an absurdly high number of players for uh, for the national team in, quali- in qualification as well as the friendly, so um, the talent pool is certainly large, but by and large, um, the 30 players that he's picked uh, was pretty consistent with what he's said over the last few months and how he's, um, you know, coached his team. I think the biggest surprise, uh, the biggest name that was omitted is certainly Eddie Johnson, um, a striker uh, that's currently now playing for DC United. He uh, over the past two years in the, this um, cycle of, of, of World Cup qualifying, he's performed really well for for Clinton. He's uh, been a very flexible player. He um, you know he's played out on the wing. He played he scored some crucial goals for us actually. Um, had a big had a huge goal um, away I think uh, in the semifinal uh, around, uh, when the U.S. was kind of reeling, and that was, that was a big game that, uh, kind of turned, turned it around, um, for us. So that was that was a, a huge surprise. Um, obviously another name that, uh, you see Julian Green, an 18 year old, uh, German American who, uh, just recently completed, um, you know, I guess his allegiance, uh, to the U.S. Um, it's, uh, he had to be approved by FIFA to file a one time switch, um, to be able to represent the United States, and, uh, he's under the preliminary roster. So, I think those two names um, were the biggest uh, surprise. Aside from that, I think for the most part, it was consistent with, uh, with what we've come to expect from Clinton. Uh,
0: do you think Eddie Johnson should have been a part of the 30-man? Um, I do.
2: I think he brings in um, a level of you know, um, flexibility. You know, he, he, he can. I mean, certainly he's a striker. Um, Eddie Johnson will tell you that. He, he wants to play up top. He wants to be in the box. But he has the ability to play out wide, um, which is crucial for this team um, that lacks, you know, to be frank, um, we don't have any, you know, wide players that can play at that level. Um, there's Graham um, you know, but some may say that he lacks the speed at the international level, um, which, you know, he can at at some point. Um, the, the, you know, Bob Bradley, you know, during the last World Cup has tried to put Landon Donovan on the left, um, which uh, actually he was very successful at it. But, you know, this is Landon Donovan um, at age, uh, you know, he's, he's over 30 now. So it's it's not the same Landon as he was um, four years ago. Um, so I think um, Eddie Johnson certainly could have been a valuable asset. Um, from what I've read, um, you know, between the uh, between the lines is he had some attitude problem that Clinton didn't really want to uh, deal with. Um, uh, and especially, um, you know, over the last uh, couple of weeks, it, um, he made some news, you know, coming over to DC United, and and he hasn't been really performing all that well. He hasn't scored um, a goal yet in this current MLS season. So he kind of called out a few of the a few of his teammates, saying that you know there's not as much talent on DC United as there was in his previous team, the Seattle Sounders. Which, which uh, maybe he did have a point, but you know it's not something you want to put it out um, on the media. So um, I don't know if that hurt him or not, but certainly um, you know when a player goes on. Uh, kind of uh, takes you know team problems out in the public you certainly um, you know take notice of that so I do think he could have been an asset um, to this team um, certainly think that he is one of the best 30 players if not the best 23 players um, so I'm a little surprised but you know over the last two years I've uh, definitely come to trust cleansman and his and his decisions so um you know I will I will trust him again
0: once again, joined by Arif Ahmed, our United States men's national team soccer expert and soccer contributor on a lot of sports talk. At goal. Uh, You got Tim Howard uh, as the clear number one Brad Guzan behind him He also had a pretty good year um, in England in Aston Villa And Tim Howard uh, at Everton Outside of goalkeeper And a lot of people do think that uh, goalkeeper is one of the biggest strengths for the United States Maybe the biggest strength Outside of keeper Where does the biggest strength lie on this United States men's national soccer team In terms of positions as a group?
2: Um, You know, I think it certainly has to be uh, in the midfield. You know, it's funny that it has come to that where, you know, I I would say it's kind of, you know, people say that all things are cyclical, and it certainly is the case um, for for the U.S. soccer team. Um, You know, six four, six years ago, uh, the strength was, you know, defenders. Um, I remember the times of Bruce Arena's team. We were always um, very good defensively, you know, didn't really have too many um, quality midfielders. Um, and certainly, we we lacked um, in, in the striker position as well. Whereas now, the things have kind of reversed. Um, we have a lot of quality players in that midfield um, position. You know, you have the guys that are just look at the guys that are not on, not even on the 30 man, man roster. You know, you have a Benny Fellhaber, who's having a great great year um, in New England right now. Um, he was actually on the team during the 2006 um, World Cup. Actually, I'm sorry. Benny is currently on uh, Kansas State, Sporting he was at uh, New England at some point. But, you know, he's not even on the preliminary roster. Um, you have a Sasha question who's helped, you know, tremendously uh, within the last couple of years. He's he's playing very, very well at Belgium, um, not on, on the roster. So I would say that certainly the midfielders are um, the strength of this team. And I, I think that, that it hurts, um, you know, a lot of the good quality players because they're not, you know, they, they can only play a certain position. So you kind of force yourself out of that spot. Um, There's a player that I I personally really, really um, like and I'm a big fan of is Jose Torres. He was big, um, you know, under the Bob Bradley regime. But over the last couple of years, it seemed like he just doesn't fit Clinton's style of play. Um, But he certainly has very, very good quality. But it's just that, you know, um, he's he's a little bit of a, um, you know, uh, smaller on the side. Um, So it's it's tough for him to defend if you put him on the the center of the field. Uh, which is his best position. He's very, very technical on the ball. But, you know, he just can't defend very well, um, and so that hurts him. So I would certainly say midfielder is, is our strength. Um, you know, strikers, uh, we're, we've definitely gotten better, but we, but we certainly could um, use, uh, you know, more help, and I think that's why where Julian Green comes in. Uh, the, the kid is only 18 years old, but he's right now, um, you know, at Bayern Munich's reserves team and comes highly touted. So we'll see what he can do in this camp and, you know, hopefully, hopefully make the team.
0: Uh, Once again, Arif Ahmed joining us And you mentioned the strike force For the United States Uh, A couple of players on that strike force Josie Alcidor and Landon Donovan Uh, At this time last year Josie Alcidor, his stock uh, was Rising through the roof, had a great year with Alkmaar and with the national team too And uh, in just under A year, his stock has plummeted after His move to Sunderland and Landon Donovan is, I believe, yet to score In 18 consecutive games In all competitions, so my my question is are, is josie and landon are they both locks or is there a chance that one of these players and maybe both but definitely at least one of these players may not make the final 23
2: um you know I, I certainly don't want to say they're both locks um you know the way Klinsman and you know you, you gotta love this about clinton say what you will but he he you know definitely sticks to his guns he definitely stays with on his mind so there's nothing, if you ask him a question, you'll get an answer about what he thinks about it. So, you know, he's mentioned repeatedly that, you know, Landon is, is, is revered in U.S. soccer. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, certainly in my book. He, I was there uh, in Pretoria when he scored a goal against Algeria, and I can honestly say that was one of the happiest moments of my life. I don't know what that says about my life, but, you know, certainly in, in, in U.S. soccer fandom, Landon is, is up there, top two, three players of all time. Um, but, you know, Clinton has said, you, you know, you've done and he respects that. He's done a tremendous amount for U.S. soccer, the growth of that um, of that sport in this country. But you're only going to be judged on what you can do now and what you can do for me, you know, tomorrow and the next game. Um, and, and Landon himself admitted that, you know, he, he's not, he's played professionally for, you know, almost 15, 16 years now. His body is not, um, his body's not what it used to be. So obviously he doesn't get, you know, three, four days of training. In a row, in a, uh, and he doesn't perform in a way that that you know Klinsman expects from him. So if he's not performing well in, in training camp, he's certainly not um, going to go to Brazil just because he's Landon Donovan. So um, I think you know, if I had to bet money on it, I would certainly say those two guys are going to be on the plane. Um, but again, it, it's Klinsman's um, team, and he definitely lures performance. So Landon has to have a good camp, and like you said, he hasn't started the season off very well. Um, but I, um, but as far as Josie, I think you know. The presence of the striker, so he knows that just because you don't score a goal, it doesn't mean that you know you're not playing well as a striker, right? You have to have other um, players around you to attribute the ball, to put you in a good position, and so on. And jo- Josie certainly has has done that. Um, he works hard. His work rate has improved tremendously um, since what it was. You know, even the last couple of years, um, he's learned a lot about the game, while positioning, and um, you know, he he went into a tough situation at Um uh, the manager that brought him in was back after twelve games. Um, you know, the EPL is, is is a different kind of beast. You know, everybody's out there for themselves, um, from the manager down to, you know, the twenty third player. Um, so it, it's nobody's gonna, you know, look out for you. And there was a lot of, you know, inside baseball politics going on with that team this year. So he was just in a very tough position. Um, I do think Josie will bounce back. Um, you know, I've I've seen him grow over the over the past uh couple of years and I think he's, he's mature enough to know that you know just because he's not playing goals he's not going to put his head down and, and not do the other things that he needs to do but I certainly think um Josie and 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 Landon will both be on the team
0: um when it comes down to it uh, The players are now at camp They reported on Wednesday At Stanford University in Palo Alto uh, During this camp And before the final 23-man roster Is announced on June 2nd Which player or players Has the most to prove Between now and that cut-down day?
2: Um, I think that the, the player that jumps at me Is honestly Kyle Beckerman um, You know, it's he's a title player If you first see him, you Certainly, don't think of him as as an international, um, you know, caliber player. I mean, he works his butt off. He does everything that he needs to do to compensate for, you know, some of the things that he lacks. He's not a very speedy player. Um, he does have good touch on the ball. I wouldn't say it's it's class. It's world class, um, but he certainly has the quality about him. But he also plays in a position that is very stacked. You know, he plays in that number six role, um, kind of right behind your center midfield. Um, where you know Jermaine Jones, who's a Clemson favorite. Um, you obviously have Michael Bradley. You have Maurice Adu. Um, maybe a mixed discarude there. So you know it, it's just a very stacked position for him. So I think he has to really, really perform during this camp um, to make a name for himself, as well as you know uh, to to show that he can be a consistent performer at this level. Um, he had a you know uh, I think one of the the brightest uh, thing about him, or the best thing about him, was that. The game, the first half of the game against Mexico, this past uh, the last uh, friendly that the U.S. team played, and the first half, the U.S. looked um, absolutely brilliant. You know, it allowed him and Michael Bradley played um, tremendously together in the midfield. Uh, Bradley probably had one of the best games of his of his career, I think, um, in the first half of that game. Now, the second half, the tactics changed, and um, he kind of fell off a little bit. But I think Kyle Beckerman has a lot to prove um, in the midfield side but in defense i would say a name that you know again jumps right at me it's jimmy chandler um now here's a guy that most u.s fans have been enamored with since clinton took over you know he was supposed to be um our solution to the right back situation you know we've had this situation with right back since you know steve serandolo kind of fell into the injury bug and been inconsistent over the last few years But, you know, he was highly rated, and, uh, you know, there was talk of him maybe even having a chance to play for the German national team. You know, this was, again, two years ago, of course, but uh, things have calmed down since then. Um, I think he played for the U.S. once um, since then in in qualification game against Honduras. The first game, um, which was a disaster, absolutely, by all accounts, we ended up losing that game 2-1, and he hasn't um, brought back since then um, for mere performance as well as injury issues. I think those two guys really have to perform because a lot of people raised uh, their eyebrow when, you know, Timmy Chandler was kind of called on because he hasn't really shown that he deserves to be here, um, aside from, uh, you know, what we thought of him uh, a couple of years ago. So I would say that Timmy Chandler and Kyle Beckerman are the, are the two guys that really have to perform well and, uh, you know, show them why, why they're here and they, they belong here.
0: Uh, once again Arif Ahmed joining us talking United States men's national team soccer and in a month they will be in Brazil they have a really tough group a lot of people regard it um, as the group of death with Germany uh, with Ghana and with Portugal as well uh, between now and the World Cup and even during the World Cup uh, what's the biggest uh, challenge Jurgen Klinsmann has between now and then whether it be tactics whether it be morale building uh, what does Klinsmann need to do between now and by the time they get to Brazil and when they play in Brazil to really have this United States team prepared uh, to take on a tough group and maybe advance from the group
2: the biggest challenge uh, for him is I think finding a consistent starting 11 um, you know Quinsman has started I think the most uh, different number of combinations uh, to date I don't think he's had a consistent same 11 for um, uh, maybe two games you know um, and if two maybe no more than three games generally so it's just, you know, at this level, you really have to have guys playing together. Um, because at the end of the day, the national team can I mean, and this is a little bit of a longer camp, obviously, for the World Cup, but these guys don't get a lot of time together. So, you know, you really want to find the right combination. Um, as you saw, especially defensively, I mean, you know, our center back, uh, I mean, certainly center backs, but along the back four, all have been a fluid situation where nobody's really said, you know what, this is my position, uh, nobody's going to take it away from me. Every game, there's something, uh, you know, somebody makes a play where you think, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe somebody else is worth a look here. Um, and that certainly was the case against, uh, you know, the game against Ukraine. We played Aguchi uh, Onyeu, you know, another great player who's done a lot for the U.S. soccer, but, you know, he's, he's had that terrible knee injury right before the last World Cup, and I don't think he's quite recovered um, from it. And, and uh, certainly with age and, and knee injury, it's set him back a while, you um, so it was a combination of a Gucci, and you had uh, John Brooks, another young player out of Germany, uh, another one of the dual nationals that Plunzmann has brought into the team, another one who's highly, highly touted. Uh, but they look completely lost. You know, you can't just put two good players together and expect them to play well right away. It takes time, especially with center back. You have to have so much trust in each other, uh, where to hold the line. You know, who, uh, which center forward to track. So I think that's the biggest biggest issue right now is that finding that consistent. You know, eleven, twelve, thirteen players that he knows are going to give him the best shot at, at winning, you know, at least one game, maybe two games in the group stage to get out of that group. So, um, and like I said, he, he has tried in a lot of combinations, and I think that's his number one um, goal, is to find a consistent starting 11 that he trusts that, uh, that can perform well.
0: Uh, one last question to you. Are you set to go to Brazil?
2: Yes, uh, I certainly am. It's less than... 30 days for me, um, counting it down I leave June 12th so um, I will be I will, luckily I will be at Rio for uh, to see Leo Messi take on uh, Edin Dzeko and Bosnia for, the, for my first game uh, in Brazil and then I will head to Natal to go see the US take on Ghana which is, which is basically our World Cup, that's our World Cup final if we win that game we have a tremendous tremendous opportunity to advance um and clinton has come out and said that that that's the game that's our world cup essentially
0: uh, So you know now uh the level of jealousy uh is rising among our listeners because you will be going to the World cup
2: oh i certainly um understand that and you know i've i've i can definitely appreciate it um but i i can't tell you how excited i am this is this will be my third world cup and I think this is the best one yet.
0: And uh, we'll be talking to you from uh, Brazil uh, as well. Arif Ahmed, thank you so very much for joining us. The World Cup starts in less than a month, June 12th. The United States in Group G with Ghana, Portugal, and Germany. And you will see more of Arif's insights on a lot of sports talk.com and here on the A lot of sports talk podcast. Arif, we thank you so very much for joining us. And uh, we'll talk with you down the road.
2: Thank you, Ashina. Good to be here.
0: Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Our... Special thanks to both Arif Ahmed and Ann Myers-Drysdale for coming on the show and sharing their time and sharing their expertise on this podcast. And next week's episode, next week's podcast, number three, will be more of the same. A couple of big events next weekend, the beginning of the 2014 French Open, the second major of the tennis season. And we will break down the men's and women's singles draw on the red clay in Paris for the 2014 French Open that gets under away next weekend and also next weekend the UEFA Champions League final. some soccer talk as Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid square off in a La Liga battle in the Champions League final in Lisbon and we will have a little bit of a breakdown of that game as well so stay tuned to a lot of sportstalk.com go to our website a lot of sportstalk.com and we have a couple of new stories up right now uh, I personally break down some of the winners of last week's 2014 NFL Draft, and a couple of teams really, really upgraded their talent and upgraded their team through the draft. I will tell you some of the teams that did just that, in my opinion. And also, we have a preview of this weekend's Preakness, as California Chrome looking to win the second leg of three for the Triple Crown, and we have a breakdown of the Preakness stakes with our horse racing expert, Michael a. Riley. So that's next week. So stay tuned and go to a lot of sports talk.com and you'll be back with us next week. Right? Right. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week.